0: Now we're going to read from God's Word. We'll be reading from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, and that can be found on page 818. That's 818 uh, in the Bibles and the chairs around you. That same day, Jesus went out from the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Trailhead Church. Good morning. It's good to be here. My name is Brian, and uh, last week I started this parable by looking at kind of the first soil and really examining what is Jesus getting at uh, when he's using this parable as as a theme for understanding parables. He's, he spends the middle portion of the text highlighting what he sees as the division between Israel that should hear the word and understand. But their hearts are far from him and the disciples who it's been given them to understand and therefore they receive the gospel They believe it they trust and they reap its blessing Well this morning we're going to be diving into the soil We're going to be looking at the various responses that we have when we hear the gospel And every person in this room has a response when they hear it You, You can't just somehow exempt yourself from it. There's a way where you hear and you respond. Do you respond in trust and faith? Or do you respond by simply turning away? Is there an obstacle between hearing the gospel and believing the gospel? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and read just the parable itself, and then we'll pray. As the sower went out to sow, he sowed seeds. Some of these seeds fell along the path, but the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much Soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. But the thorns grew up, and they choked them. Other seeds, they fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray for hearing this morning. Father, as we come to your word. Lord, we seek to understand it. We ask for your Holy Spirit to soften our heart this morning to receive it. To place ourselves underneath your teaching. Lord, I know that there are many in here that are coming with distractions, tensions. The weight of the day already feels so oppressive. I pray that you would continue to give your grace, that we may hear, that we may receive and respond to your gospel with trust. Lord, meet us here in our need. Amen. Before I was a collegiate director, I was the high school youth group leader for about 10 years. And uh, when we were first starting this thing off, we didn't really have any high school students. I mean, I think we had like three, and they were all Steve's kids, right? I mean, no joke. I mean, that's really what it was. And so what do you do when you're starting a youth group, but you have no students of your own? Well, I taught at Edwardsville High School. I used to do the summer school class for their geography classes. And what that did is it allowed me an opportunity to meet students I otherwise never would have met. Now, it's not like I could just go to my class and invite them to my youth group, right? I'm a public educator. I'm being paid by the public to teach their kids global perspectives, not the gospel. But what I could do is when I'm giving them information about myself, I can say, hey, I also lead a youth group. And I would do that. Anytime I would start my class during the summer, I'd let them know, here's all the things I do during the school year. Here's where I'm working, and I also am a youth leader. And inevitably, I knew that after the course of six weeks, I would have some students who would ask me, Mr. Pacheco, where's your youth group? Can I come? Can I join? Well, there was a summer about 10 years ago where I met a student. His name was Mikey. Mikey's this bold and brash kid, and he was kind of small, and so, you know, people would pick on him, but he, he kind of had this little giant thing going on Whereas his personality outsized his small stature. Um, he was the kind of guy who would pick a fight with someone he'd lose to, but he did it because he wanted the story. Like, that's the kind of guy that Mikey was. And as you can imagine, Mikey's strengths didn't really play well with school. He wasn't good at totally engaging and listening. He had an eye for distraction, and he didn't mind being... The attention, even if it was negative attention. And so he found himself in my summer school class. And the reason he found himself in my summer school class is because he had actually failed the class twice. So Mikey was a junior. And so he's sitting in my incoming freshman global perspectives class as a junior. Not exactly what most juniors want to be doing with their summer. But here's the thing. As I got to know Mikey, I began to realize that he wasn't a bad student. In fact, he wasn't a bad kid at all. He just wanted to be loved. He wanted to be known. And he would act out for attention, whether good or bad. He just wanted someone to see him. He just wanted someone to acknowledge him. And here's the thing, I I genuinely enjoyed Mikey. I I like those types that are kind of like on the edge, off the cuff, but, you know, they have a good heart, they actually want to be there, but they're just distracted. I, I get that. That's kind of me. I understand that. And I found Mikey funny. He was a hysterical kid. A lot of kids found him annoying. He was also that, too. But you take the good with the bad. And and, and Mikey was the kind of personality where he would emulate whoever he was around. And so about halfway through the summer, he started just acting like me. Like he would just come in and, you know, try to command the class. And the class would be like, what are you doing, Mikey? To the point where they began to call him Minnie check my name's pacheco and so they would just shorten that to check and they'd call him mini check and then he started calling himself mini check and then i started calling him mini check and so he was mini check about halfway through that six-week course he was mini check and and i love that kid you know and imitation really is the oldest form of flattery is it not we imitate what we want to be but for him i think it went beyond that for him it was identity See, when Mike was mini-check, he was no longer the small kid in need of friends. He was no longer the loner who was hoping to be seen. He was known. So summer school nears completion, and undoubtedly, Mikey comes up to me and he's like, "Where's your youth group? I got to go. I got to go." And so he started coming. He started coming to our Wednesday nights, and, and he actually brought more people than I would have ever imagined. Mikey was the kind of guy where he friended everyone because he just wanted friends. And he would friend the, the down and out, the, the kind of the, the loners of the community. And so we had all these students that would come to our youth group that you would never imagine would step into a church. Mikey became a fixture of our Wednesday night. And I would share the gospel with him. And I would, you know, make sure that he was hearing that his greatest need was not actually the friendships around him or the community that we were building His greatest need was Jesus. And I always wondered, you know, is he actually hearing it? Is he actually seeing it? Is he here for the community? I know he's loved. I know he's known. But but does he hear the gospel? Does he receive it? And like many of the students I've shared the gospel with, I I don't know. I I don't know. I get them for such a short amount of time. And then they're gone. And then all I see is their Facebook feed. And sometimes I don't want to look at that. Sometimes it's showing me things where it's like, ah. And other times, I don't know. But I have hope. I have hope that many check, as he was sitting there hearing the gospel, heard and responded, and and that he wasn't just there for a community. That he wasn't just there for the, the social benefits. Now, look, when Jesus is giving his parable, this is the scene. This is the situation. People all around are there to look at Jesus They want to be healed. They want to be fed. And the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. Jesus is standing on a boat. And people are standing on the shore. Who stands on the shore to listen to a guy in a boat? Unless they're getting something from him. But were they receiving the gospel or were they receiving the perks? And this is the highlight of our passage. Don't miss this. When Jesus is giving the seed, he's giving the gospel. But just because you hear the gospel doesn't mean you reap its blessings. You have to respond. And you have to respond in faith. You must believe the gospel to receive its blessings. You can't merely be around it. You can't merely hear it. There's a lot of people who mentally assent to it, right? Oh, I agree with God. I agree with Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, I go to church. But they actually don't trust Jesus. And it begs the question, how do I hear the gospel and believe? How do I receive that blessing? Last week we looked at this parable, and I noted, Jesus is the sower. He's throwing seeds everywhere. It, it, indiscriminately throwing the seed. But the responses are different. Each soil responds in a different manner, just like us. Each of us respond differently when we hear the gospel. And out of the four, only one responds The trust, what Jesus calls understanding. In verse 19, go ahead and look at verse 19 with me. Jesus is explaining the parable, and he says this phrase, the seed is the word of the kingdom. What does that mean? We looked at this last week. That phrase points to something far deeper than you might at first expect. The word of the kingdom is tied to the ministry of Jesus. It's the claim, it's the gospel, that Jesus is breaking into this broken world. To renew what was broken. To restore what was thrown. And it's here that we discovered our first truth. That the seed is the gospel. It's the message of Christ. And so as Jesus is throwing the seed and the soils are responding, you've got to remember, these are people. And they're there for a multitude of reasons. Some are hungry. Some are in need of food. And Jesus is bringing actual comfort to their pain. But his message is far deeper than just physical comfort. His message gets to the core of their need, the core of our need. Jesus is giving the true answer to their truest problem, that yes, the world is broken, but so are you, and that your greatest need is not solved by fixing the problems out there. They need to be addressed in here. And what is that problem? What is that problem? In the church, we call it sin, and what what does sin mean? Sin's an old archery term. It means to miss the mark. So in fact, when we're using the word sin, it's like, see what I'm aiming at? I'm missing it. I'm just off. I'm skewed. That's what it means to sin. In fact, it's saying that none of us are perfect. The things we aim for, the things we try to do, we don't always hit the target. And the gospel addresses that. See, the gospel covers me in the perfect righteousness of Christ, the only one who is without sin, the only one who did the Father's bidding perfectly. That's what the gospel addresses. So when Jesus is giving us the seed, he's giving us his gospel. He's giving us our only hope, and our only hope is in him. He's addressing the sin in each. See, when Mikey came to my youth group, I knew what brought him in. He was loved, he was known, He was cared for. That's not enough to save him. It's not enough to redeem him. His primary need was not my love, it's the love of Christ. And until he saw himself as a sinner in need of grace, no amount of youth group, no amount of good community, no amount of positive vibes is going to change his heart. The only thing that could renew, restore, and redeem him is the love of Christ. He needed to hear the gospel, yes. But hearing alone does not unlock the power of the gospel. If it sounds like I'm beating this drum, it's because I am. You can't just hear it. You can't just say, oh, that's nice and assent to it. It leaves you with a response. Do you trust? And there's an invitation there. And a lot of people think like, you know, Jesus is just wanting to shackle us to the truth so that we serve him. It's like, no, you're serving something. Who's it going to be? You don't get the luxury of choosing not to serve. You always are serving something. Is it going to be yourself? Or is it going to be the God that created you? So, how do we respond? What brings life back to death? We respond to the gospel in our need by faith. Last week we looked at faith and I said it's to know, it's to assent. And it's to trust. Knowledge. You understand the message. Assent. You agree with the message. But you have to trust that that message is for you. That Jesus is for you. That your only hope is him. It's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to agree with it. Look at at Jesus' audience. They're interested in what he's saying. The whole crowd is standing there because they want to know. And I'm sure many of the people there thought he was a great guy. Jesus, yeah, he's awesome. He heals people. Maybe they were there to get some free health care. I don't know. But the the parable does not leave them in a comfortable spot. Jesus says, you can hear my words and miss me. How many of us are in that spot today? How many of us have heard the news of Jesus? Gone to church, but don't actually respond to the gospel with belief. Oh, yeah, 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 I, kn- I know that stuff. Yeah, I agree with it. In this room, there are different kinds of soils. In this very room. I'm not naive enough to think that a room this size wouldn't have some people that have simply skated around the gospel. And my goal right now isn't to call you out, it's to invite you in. The greatest tragedy is to hear the gospel. And miss the person of Jesus. To hear it. But not actually reap. It's salvation. Summer after Mikey was finished with school, we went to New Orleans. We took a trip down there. Took our youth group. We were fixing houses about a a decade ago. And so this was still after the uh, Hurricane Katrina had had destroyed a lot of the houses in New Orleans. And during that time, I I worked alongside Mikey. And and the reason I did was because I knew my time with him was limited. And so as we're painting houses and, and trying not to asphyxiate ourselves with the fumes, we're talking about Jesus. We're t- getting into the gospel and talking about our need. And, you know, Mike, he's a, he was a normal teen. Struggled with the things normal teens do. He wants to fit in. He wants to be popular. He wants to be well-liked. He wants to try new experiences. And we would talk about those things and how God created us to enjoy his creation. And that we enjoy it most fully when we worship him as Our king. I knew it would be my last time with Mikey. And I wanted to make sure that he knew the gospel. And yeah, he would visit from time to time, but look, you go on to college, you move on, life takes you. A lot of these students I'll never see again. And so there was a sense of urgency. There was a sense where I just wanted to make sure. And as I'm reading through this parable, I'm seeing that same sense of urgency. The seed demands a response. We're not given unlimited time on this earth. None of us can just wait and continually push it to the next stage of life. I I work with college students, and one of the things I constantly hear is, when I'm 30, then I'll really deal with it. No, you won't. No, you won't. I, I know 30. I saw 30. I've already passed it. You won't deal with anything. So, you kind of think, well, maybe when I'm 40, I'll deal with it. And it's like, I don't think so. I'm not there yet, but I I can assume. Life is always throwing things at you, life is always getting you caught up with focus on the now, focus on yourself. And I'll hear this when I have kids, that's when I'll go to church. You know, I want them to have religion. I'm like, have you ever tried to get kids to church? Like three of them under four? Have you ever tried that? That's an experiment in frustration. How do you load them up? How do you make sure one's not crying and one's not running in the street? There's always going to be barriers. Always. It can't be the new goal. So what do we do? Well, the thing is, Jesus is actually going to address some of these obstacles as well. He gives us three. Three different soils, three different ways to hear and not hear at all. Three obstacles to believing the gospel. Now, it's important to note, I don't think that these three obstacles are uh, exhaustive. I I don't think Jesus laid out the list and said, these are the three ways that people respond, and that's it. I think this is pointing to varying responses that most people have encountered. Okay? So we're going to walk through these three, and, and I want you to think that, well, this is it, and I fall outside of this, so it's not really addressing me. No, the Bible's addressing you too. Okay? And you probably fall and fall to one of these within your life. Let's go ahead and take a look at the first one, verse 4. What are the obstacles that keep us from believing the gospel? Verse 4, as he sowed some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. The first obstacle is cynicism. Cynicism. The seed that fell on the path, it heard the gospel Ever so briefly, and then it's plucked and devoured by the birds of the air. Have you ever seen a bird eat? Have you ever seen a bird dive in and catch its prey? Maybe you've been on the campus of SIUE, and you've had to fight the geese because they're insane, and they follow you. Birds are diligent when they're going after their food. They pluck it. It's gone. That's what happens. And so what is Jesus getting at? What's the point here? He's saying the path is not a great place to plant. The soil has been walked over. It's been pushed down. It's been treaded on. The seed may land on it, but there's no room for growth. And the enemy comes, and what does he do? He he eats up the seed. He takes it away because he hates you. The enemy hates you. And the enemy wants you to stay closed off. He wants you to be closed in your cynicism. But what causes our cynicism? What allows us to get there? Often I find that cynics are those who have been hurt, those who have been betrayed, and those who have been let down. And the worst cases of this is when that's happened, you've been hurt, betrayed, and let down by the very leaders that are supposed to be leading you, encouraging you, giving you the gospel. The church can hurt people. A lot. what happens when you've given your trust and that's been betrayed first thing is the grievances are real they're real but we can't allow ourselves to be given over to them because here's the problem is that you actually begin to build a defensive shield around your heart that keeps people out so that you won't get hurt but it doesn't allow anything in. It doesn't allow love to come in. And the thing that you thought was actually going to protect you now begins to brittle your own heart. See, we become trapped in our ability to share and receive grace. We give ourselves over to our grievances. We we actually limit ourselves from receiving the love of Jesus. The protective shield says, no one can love me and therefore I won't get hurt. But here's the paradox. You still need love. Each of us. We still need the love of Jesus. The only one that has the power over our greatest enemy. So what do we do? What do we do when we come to Jesus with our cynicism? Well, first thing I would encourage you guys to do, and the thing I have to do with my own heart, question your cynicism. Question it. Don't just believe it. Cynicism in the form of skepticism is rarely an answer. Skepticism is often the shield we create so that we don't have to deal with the question. Oh, that's nonsense. Oh, who's going to believe in that stuff? I don't need to hear this. But you actually haven't answered the question. You're just living under the veneer of skepticism. Push into it. Second, open your heart to hear the gospel. Jesus does not come to us and say Figure it out. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Then I'll come to you. No. Jesus was betrayed. He understands betrayal. And not only was he betrayed, but he gave his life and then goes back and gives grace to the very people who betrayed him. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. It's the greatest act of grace this world has ever seen. That he died for me, for my sin, and gives me his righteousness. The gospel speaks to my pain, my hurt, my betrayal. And it answers them. Our cynicism doesn't give us life. It cuts us off from receiving life. The way through cynicism is not mindless belief either. That's the other thing. I hear this a lot. Well, you just believe in fairy tales and nonsense and stories. And and I'm not going to do that because, you know, I I have reason. It's like your reason can get you into a whole bunch of places. A whole bunch of dark alleys that don't actually give meaning, but keep you from meaning. One of the things I struggle with on campus is this deep embedded nihilism. There's nothing here. There's no meaning to anything in the world. Where does that get you? What does flourishing life look like if that's the foundation of your belief? And I don't mind asking the question because there is no good answer none. None at all. Jesus is not simply an add on, He is the answer. He is. He's the reason of our being. The affection of our worship, what we were created to worship. So push beyond our protective shields. Push beyond the cynicism and skepticism. And open yourself up to hear and receive. But let's say that's not you. You're sitting in there and you're like, Brian, I, I believe in Jesus. Okay, I trust him. I'm good, I've got this, but but I'm struggling in other areas. You know, life is hard right now. Things are falling apart. And I'm kind of wondering, where's God in the whole thing? What do I do? Look with me in verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Second obstacle is persecution persecution now here's the interesting thing is the seed that falls on the rocky ground it actually grows a little sprout coming up it says it grows quickly but it eventually falls away and why because this is the person who hears the word and they receive it but they're not they're not rooted in the gospel they're rooted in something else oftentimes they're rooted in themselves and we'll see that shortly what does this person look like? Who is this person? Who is this person that kind of grasps, grasps this really quickly and sprouts quickly but falls away? Well, sometimes this is the person who wants the gospel and the promises of the gospel more for the community, love, and sense of understanding than for actually worshiping Jesus. And that was my greatest fear when I was working with Mikey. It's like, yeah, you, you, don't miss this. Don't just be about the love and the community and the, and the great social network and the understanding of how the world is Don't don't miss worshiping that and miss Jesus. In verse 21, Jesus uses this phrase. He says, he falls away. This is the person who isn't rooted. And this phrase carries the meaning of one who takes offense. Now think about this. The one who initially received with joy now takes offense. The one who previously worshiped Jesus now demonizes him. And we might ask, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody worship something and then demonize it? Let me ask you, have you ever sold anything in your life, worshiped it, only to come to hate it? I see this a lot in relationships. Oh, this person is the best, the one, most wonderful thing I've ever come across, and in six months, they hate him. Why? They were trying to find God things in a non-God person. And when the inevitable failure happened, they ran away. So what is this highlighting? What is this instructing? Well, think about this. I, I think Jesus' parable is spot on here when he's saying it, it's a root. For the person who hears the gospel but, but is not rooted in the gospel, you've got to ask the question, where is their hope? Where is their hope? When stuff begins to happen, when persecution arises, when suffering happens, where do they go for their hope? is it themselves is it the relationship is it their bank account is it their family none of those things withstand none of them they they can't look the the only root that withstands persecution and suffering is Jesus there's a lie today that says God is the God of material prosperity. God is the God that gives you your best life right now. The question I have for that gospel is, what happens when life gets hard? What happens when death hits and you lose someone you love? or your marriage falls apart? Or your kids do something terrible because they're kids and they do something terrible. What happens when sin rears its head in you and you look at it and you're like, I didn't think that was in there. What happens when you're standing holding all the pain of a life that doesn't look the way you wanted it to go? The gospel of material prosperity has no answer for you. Nothing does. Here's what the gospel of Jesus says. Your life will have suffering. It assumes it. But you're not alone in it. It's not meaningless. I don't speak to you as someone who hasn't suffered. And I certainly know people who have suffered more. And I can't stand up here and say, God makes sense of all the suffering in this world, and we just need to trust and believe and everything's going to be okay. No, there's some suffering that I don't know why it happens. I can't put my finger on it. There's some things that have happened in my life where I'm like, I don't see how this is a good thing. But at the end of the day, it's like, where's my hope? Where's my hope? It's either in Jesus or it's in something that can't stand. And here's the thing. I I have seen Jesus take terrible situations and bring beautiful things from them. I have. I'm not making that up. I've seen it. I've seen him work situations, sometimes long after the initial event occurred, for the blessing of his community, his people. I think at the end of the day, what we're getting at here is that suffering will happen, and it will test, it will show where you actually put your hope. So, so what do we do? We're coming to this text, we're feeling the weight of this, this is heavy. First thing I would encourage you, don't, don't go through life alone. Don't go through life alone. It's popular to be a lone wolf Christian these days. And to separate yourself from the community of God and, you know, just you and Jesus. Look at who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to his disciples. Guess what? That's a group of 12. Why did Jesus need a group of 12? I think he's showing us the necessary impact of community. People that love the Lord. People that know us. People that are going to push on us. Encourage us. Stand with us in the midst of trial. My wife and I have gone through hard things in our life. I couldn't imagine Not going through that with the families. Families right here, right in this sanctuary that walked through us when we had death in our family. Walked with us when we struggled within our relationship. I want to encourage you. You're not called to do this alone. And the second thing is I think what community does is it, it, it has the ability to call out the lesser hopes that we have. Cause the ability to call out the lesser hope. So here's the thing when Jesus saves, this is what he's saving. This is the people that he's saving broken people, downtrodden people, empty people, people in need, self righteous people, the indignant people. That's who God's saving to himself. And praise God, because you know what that means? He can save us, He can save me, He can save you. We need the community of God, we need His church. The way through persecution is going back to persecution. It's going back to the cross. To receive grace and to give grace requires the cross. It requires repentance, receiving and acknowledging our need for Jesus. And that's our hope. But we have one more obstacle, and this is probably the trickiest of them all. It's it's arguably the hardest to see. Look with me in verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked them. Third obstacle is our passions. Passions. And I'll explain that as we get into this. See, the third soil receives the seed, and the issue of the soil isn't so much the composition, it's what's allowed to grow alongside the seed. That's the problem. Here's how Jesus explains this in verse 22. He says, For what was sown among thorns is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Okay, let's look at those phrases briefly cares of the world, that deals with our fears. It deals with the things that we're worried about. Maybe that's clothing, maybe that's paycheck, maybe that's food, maybe that's physical needs or relational needs. These are just the kind of baseline fears that we all have. And it's getting at trust. Who do we trust in? Deceitfulness of riches, we kind of understand that just from, its, from the face of it. It's, it's talking about the accumulation of material goods, the amassing of status, the pursuit of wealth. Now, look at this, though. These things, in and of themselves, are not bad. In fact, they're good. Clothing, food, wealth, material, status, they are all good in portion. And that's the interesting, in fact, that's the terribly interesting thing about our thorns. It's that our thorns are often the good things in life that we've made into God things. It's the things that were meant to to give life in proportion that we've extracted to give full meaning. And it's the good things in this world that we need to be the most cautious of. It's the good causes, the the things we become most passionate about that have the greatest ability to lead our hearts not to trust in Christ, but our own efforts. Guys, this, this can be material. This can also be spiritual causes. This can be humanistic efforts. I mean, it, it runs the whole gamut. All good things, that when they become God things, actually choke the word. And rather than life-giving, they choke our deeper loves and deeper passions. And here's what Jesus says. The thorny soil ultimately proves unfaithful. Ultimately does not yield. is a hard saying. We see that it hears the word. But we're never told that it believes the word. And Jesus uses that word understanding. And he only uses it for the fourth soil. And so what I think is happening in the soil is that this is the person who hears about Christianity, all the cool things about it, and simply adds it to the mix of all the loves they already have. I'll take a little of that Jesus Christianity stuff and throw it, throw it into the resume of things I do. But they don't actually believe in Jesus. Or maybe they approach Christianity and they say, you know what? it would be good to have some fire insurance just in case. You know, I kind of screw off in my life and I just need to make sure I'm good with God. And you even hear, hear people say that. They'll use language like, well, God and I have our own thing, or I'm good with God, or, you know, we, we've kind of got a back alley deal. And I'm like, what are you talking about? i heard it. I've heard it. I'm like, it's like, like there's a drug deal going on, and, and God and them are kind of like deciphering who's getting the, the benefits. And I'm like, I, I think you're missing the gospel. But the dangerousness, uh, the dangerous thing of the third soil is that it's, It's often the good things that lead to death. So what do we do? We're coming to Jesus, and you're coming with your passion, and and you're acting like, okay, so Brian, are are you speaking against passions? help, Help make sense of this. First thing, let's be honest about our passions. It's not the presence of things we're passionate about that separates us from Jesus. Jesus made you to be passionate about things. He made you to go after things. None of that's a problem. The problem is, where do you start? Do you start with the passion and then go from there? Or do you start with Jesus and allow your passions to be shaped by him? Allow your passions to be shaped by obedience to his word, submitted to his glory. See, the Christian is constantly asking themselves, Lord, what would you have me do with my life, my time? my money, my relationships. And then move towards repentance, turning from lesser loves, turning from things that are good, but they can never be, should never be. God thinks. See, the heart of a person who knows Jesus is not the absence of passion. It's passions that are informed to obedience in his word and submitted under his glory. The problem with the thorny soil, guys, is it's it is hard to call out. Because it's oftentimes good things. And so in our churches, I hate to say it, there's a lot of people that do a lot of good things for Jesus, but they don't actually worship him. Spend a lot of time fretting over the details. Maybe even leading teams. But they don't trust him. And in the end choked out. So where's our hope? That's the question this morning. Where is your hope? If you get to the fourth soil and you're thinking, Brian, I'm overwhelmed. There's so many obstacles. Can, can anyone actually know Jesus? Can anyone actually respond to the gospel? Brian, I, I'm filled With failures and fears and fatigue. So am I. Thankfully, Jesus gives us a final soil. And it's not at all what you would expect. Look with me in verse 8. The other seed fell on good soil, and it produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. What is the difference? What is the difference? In the good soil and the soils that don't receive. The response of belief. The response of belief. The good soil is the only soil that hears and understands. Look with me. Verse 23. Jesus says this. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands. They respond. <laughs> they respond. They don't come with the resume. They come with their need. They see their brokenness what happens they bear fruit they yield in one case a hundredfold in another 60 in another 30 okay that is the difference and there's some fun english grammar going on here behind the scenes and there's a shift in the tense in verse 23 see verses 19 through 22 all the verbs are in past tense It's it's just this kind of simple, like, in one ear, out the other. But in verse 23, the verb changes to present tense. It's signifying continual, ongoing hearing. And it's this hearing. it's, It's the kind of hearing that says, Jesus, you are my only hope. You alone. I can't go anywhere else. You're it. That's what brings understanding hearing that trusts the gospel, and that hearing results in an abundant harvest. Notice what Jesus does not say. Those with understanding might produce fruit. No. He says, they will produce fruit because they're connected to me. His understanding transforms our entire person. And those who believe will produce fruit. Those who are his show themselves as redeemed and restored. And that doesn't mean they're perfect, it means they've placed their hope in the one who is. And then walk in a manner keeping with repentance according to the word of God. So, how do we respond? I started this off saying you can't listen and not respond, there's always a response. And maybe you're feeling conviction. Maybe you feel like the path. You're, you're dealing with the reality of a cold heart. One that's found comfort in the protective shield. But maybe stirring in you this morning is a longing for something more. Maybe you feel like the rocky soil. You're, you're dealing with ingrained sin and, and, and failing. You're wondering, how can God possibly save me? Or maybe you're struggling the hardships of life. You're in the brink, you're teetering. I, I don't know if I can trust God. I don't, know if I, I, I don't know if he's good. I don't know if he's there. Or maybe you feel like the thorny soil. And you have sorrow this morning because you're recognizing, I have lesser gods that I've placed and lesser dreams that I've placed above Christ. Or maybe you don't fit in any of these categories. But maybe there's that nagging worry. Am I the person who has heard And not believed. Here's the thing. The invitation's the same. The invitation is the same. Hear the words of Jesus. Come in your need. With your brokenness. And receive the gospel of grace. Maybe for the first time. Maybe this morning you finally just, I know I need. Or maybe it's for the thousandth time. Because that's the posture of a Christian. It's not not a person who's devoid of stones and thorns. It's recognizing if you are the Lord's, He will keep, He will preserve. And sometimes He starts trimming the thorns in your life. And you're like, you know what? This hurts, but it's God's grace. See, if He loves, if, if you are His, He will not allow you to be choked out. But our action is to respond by going back to Him. That's always our response. To come to the cross, to come to Jesus, to come to the one who bore our sin and shame and conquered our guilt and gives new life. That's the invitation each of us have today. Henry David Thoreau is well known for saying, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I think he's on to something here. I think most people aim their life at the wrong goal. Power, prestige, status, wealth, popularity, wow. friends. All good things, none of which can satisfy you. None of which take away sin. None of which restore. So my prayer this morning is that we would hear and understand that the Holy Spirit would yield within this church 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold yield. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves as sinners in need of grace. We would be honest enough to come to you with our brokenness. For the person who maybe for the first time is coming to the altar of grace. Lord, would you fill them with your spirit that they may walk according to your word. Maybe we're the person who's coming the thousandth time still in need, drinking deeply from the fountain of grace. Lord, would you fill us to not allow lesser loves and lesser dreams get in the way of of actually finding our hope in you. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your gospel this morning as it reveals our heart, as it shines its light into the very depth of our soul. And Lord, I pray that we would respond. I pray that we wouldn't just simply walk away this morning with unfinished business with you. That we would confess our need moving towards you, moving towards your grace as you move towards us, the ones who put you on the cross, the ones who who betrayed you. What kind of love is that, God? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for your great love for us. May we come. Amen. Amen.